0: so today is our uh, final Sunday in the season of Epiphany it's been a season that we've been in for much of January of all of January and now uh, all of February because this is the last Sunday of February uh, and it's been a season that we've been um, thinking about and talking about uh, the revelation of God on earth and there's all sorts of ways that we could talk about it, but this, this, these past few months, one of the primary ways that we've been looking about, looking at what it means to be, um, or back that up, we've been looking about how the revelation of God on earth is often revealed through our lives, in our jobs, and in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces, And we've been talking about what it looks like to be a people of God. What it looks like to live out our faith in a very chaotic, a very divided, a very hate-filled world. Now, we're going to be um, transitioning today, um, which is uh, Transfiguration Sunday, into, on Wednesday, we have Ash Wednesday, which marks the beginning of Lent. And this is not just kind of a haphazard transition from one random holiday to the next. If you're like me, thinking about who we are called to be as people of God, if you're like me, you look at that and you think, oh my goodness, I have a long way to go. You see your imperfections, you see the ways that you still need to grow. That is a very natural transition from, examining who we are and who we are called to be to this season of Lent, which is, God, I have so so far to still go. There is still so much um, brokenness in my own heart, and I need you. And so we move into the season of Lent, which is a season of wilderness, is the primary image we use. Um, but it's one of the, the chief images is Jesus in the desert being tempted by Um, Satan and him um, confronting those temptations. And so it's a season of us confronting our our shadows, confronting the parts of ourselves we don't love. And at the end of that, we know we end at resurrection, which is wholeness and completion. Um, So we're kind of making this journey together, viewing who we are called to be, doing some of the hard work of realizing we're not quite there yet. And then we end up at the good part of the story, which is in the end, Christ wins. And in the end, we will be fulfilled and healed and renewed. So just wanting you to see where we are in this story. So as Pastor Alex read, we are um, in the season of transfiguration, which is normally, I think we've done this now three or four years, and every single year we've read that that text out of the gospels of Jesus going up to this mountain and having this moment. Uh, But I decided to do a little different this year to read a different text. Uh, It could go well. It could crash and burn. Like all of the possibilities are out there. We're just going to give it a go. Uh, But the text we're going to read is we still are drawing from our lectionary text, but we're going to read from the old Testament text specifically from Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. And it says, uh, says this. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on a mountain, the clouds covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain. He stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This uh, is this really curious story. Uh, it's a story that's hard to get uh, your, your head around. And actually, if you're reading the book of Exodus, it kind of arrives out of nowhere. So there's this moment um, when I was in college, uh, my friends and I uh, were driving to a friend of ours wedding, actually in Chico. And so we lived in Kansas. And we decided we're only young once. And so we're going to drive from Kansas to California and then back to Kansas again. And the route we took, took us through Kansas. And who has ever been to Kansas before? Who has ever been to Western Kansas before? That's Alex's place right there. Western Kansas almost doesn't exist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's real. It's real. When you're driving, a friend of a uh, friend of mine said that you could drive uh, west through Kansas, and you could just put your uh, foot on the gas, like you cruise control. Sorry, put cruise control on. You keep your knee locked on the steering wheel, and you could read a book <laughs> just driving straight. There's no curves. There's no hills. It's just flat and it's straight. (laughs) But then somewhere in Colorado, you're driving straight, you're driving straight. You pass the the state line between Kansas and Colorado and it's still flat. You think you'd enter Colorado and it wouldn't be. Still flat. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Rocky Mountains appear. They just kind of like rise from the earth. This part of Exodus is like driving through Western Kansas into Colorado. If you read the chapters before this really mystical and interesting story, you'll read things like uh, God's laws about living justly. He's giving these instructions to Israel about what it means to be his people. Things like do not follow the crowd in doing wrong when you give testimony in a lawsuit, don't pervert justice by siding with the crowd and do not show favoritism. He gives instructions on how to rest. This idea of 6 day or for 6 years you're to sow your fields and harvest your crops, but on the 7th year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. And goes further, 6 days you work, but on the 7th you don't work. It's outlining festivals. This uh, festival or this feast of unleavened bread, which we know as Passover, is outlined in this text, what that will look like. The feast of the harvest, which isn't as well known, but it's the festival they're celebrating in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes. That's outlined in this section. Another feast of ingathering, which is celebrating the harvest of fruit and the completion of all of the harvests is outlined here. And then after this text, if you go further, you get into this minutia of what the tabernacle or their worshiping house will look like. How they'll build the Ark of the Covenant of Indiana Jones fame, how that will be built. Architecture, worship explained. And what you're seeing leading up to this moment and after this moment is all really important stuff. But it's very specific. It's a lot of minutia. And it's very easy to put your knee on the steering wheel and just drive west and just kind of let your eyes gloss over and get lost in the whole thing. But this text, if you're just reading through Exodus, like the Rocky Mountains, just kind of appears. And you're like, what did I just read? What is going on? on now there's a word for this wild story of moses going to the top of a mountain and a cloud descending and this whole thing the word is theophany and what theophany is is a really fancy way of saying it's a moment when god physically arrives on earth when god breaks in and becomes visible to humanity What Moses experiences here is called a theophany. What Jesus was experiencing on the mountain, what we read earlier in between uh, our worship time, that was called a theophany. These are moments, theophanies are moments where God kind of grabs us by the collar and like shakes us awake. Like I'm here, see me. It's these moments when the mystical breaks in to the very ordinary parts of our world. We often find ourselves asking, uh, I, I know I do, uh, we come here and we worship, we talk about meeting God and experiencing God and worshiping God, and we can find ourselves asking, what does it look like to experience God? God. One, uh, one writer talked about this tension of living everyday life and God breaking into it. And he said this, he said, the Christian life is lived amid the ordinary lives of ordinary, if not ordinary, I love that, people. Much of our time is occupied with maintaining at least some semblance of order in our lives. This was written to pastors, but we're going to expound on it in a second. He writes, Sermons are written between discussions of what color uh, to paint the men's room and what kind of bread to use for communion, all the kinds of things pastors talk about. But we could add to this uh, grocery runs, child care planning, Cars being taken in to get our oil changed or trying to get tags at the end of our year. Birthday parties planned for siblings or parents or nieces or nephews. Lawns being mowed. Daily work commutes being made. Life is lived as one moments of mundane, ordinary uh, moments after another. This writer goes on to say, yet in the midst of these relentless routines, we find ourselves startled by parables of the transforming glory of God. In these moments, we catch glimpses of a glory that can break forth when we least expect it with power to transform an otherwise quite ordinary event into an epiphany. Now that's up here. What does this mean? God (laughs) breaking in to our life matters, and it is real. One of the most interesting ways that I've ever heard this taught is by a philosopher by the name of Andrew Root, and he says it this way. He says, boldly says this, we only know about God and we only know anything about God, God's character, God's um, uh, integrity, what God thinks and feels, who we are in relationship to God. Anything we know about God, we only know about God because God arrived somewhere. If you read the Old Testament, how do they describe God? God is the God of Abraham. God is the God of Isaac. God is the God of Jacob. When they tell the story of God, they're telling the story of moments when God arrives and shows up somewhere. Andrew Root says this. I'm going to try to like unpack it as we go. He says, God is not a story. It's often easy for us to look at a Bible and we read God as a character in a story. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that happened a long time ago. Root says, God is not a story. God is an event of arriving, a personal being that shows up. This God is a living God because this God shows up and identifies with events, making the things that happen part of his identity. Unpacking this a minute. When God shows up, God takes in, God identifies with, God participates with humanity. We see this in the covenant God makes with Israel. It isn't Abraham that God makes walk through this covenantal thing. It's God who walks through it. When God becomes man, God shows up in human form, taking on our experience as part of himself. He goes on to say that we cannot know God outside of what God has experienced in relationship to us, us. One last thing. I promise we're going to make this real life for us. It can be a little heady because God identifies with events. He said, there's good news of healing, transformation, and salvation for me. The God who is able or the God who is, um, able and willing to identify with those painful events in time and space that I wish were not part of me, that scar of my being that shift my future somewhere dark. God gives his presence to these events. God makes my painful events part of his own story. My painful events are now where God is present ministering, a new future called resurrection and a new identity in Christ. Okay, it's all up there. God shows up. God shows up in Eden with Adam and Eve. God shows up with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When Israel is fleeing Egypt, he shows up, Uh, As a burning bush before the escape, God shows up as a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. God shows up through the words of the prophets, teaching us about who God is. Most importantly, God shows up in Jesus, teaching us about who God is. And when God shows up, when God arrives, it's really easy for us to interpret that God is out there, distant, unconcerned about our suffering and our experience. But when God shows up every single time, God is deeply concerned with what is happening in our life. God participates God experiences, and God, this is the most important part, when God shows up, we are transformed. One of the interesting parts of this story is that when Moses goes up on the mountain and comes back down, his appearance is completely changed. They look at him and they can tell something is different. There's this Old Testament story uh, when Abraham is promised a child. He and Sarah are promised a child and their way too old to be having children. And they laugh and they eventually believe that this is going to happen and they try and it doesn't work. And they decide that they're going to have Abraham get his hand or Sarah's maid or, or handmaiden pregnant. And she has a child and that son, uh, and she is like sent off, cast away. God meets her by a river. He goes and he finds her. And this, woman who has no real story in the story of Israel outside of this moment is the very first person who names God in the Old Testament I'm gonna put Josh on the spot because I didn't think about the name before I wrote it in do you remember what it is Hagar. not Hagar what does she call God oh. the God who sees Elroy the story of scripture I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that The story of scripture is God showing up, God entering into our story, and God transforming creation. Now, these are all really big moments. Clouds coming down on the mountain, Uh, God showing up next to Hagar next to a river, Uh, God walking through Eden with Adam and Eve, Jacob wrestling God all night and walking away with a limp. These are really big things. And we can think to ourselves, these are not possible for me. But how many of you have had had experiences where somebody said something to you that was simple but profound and really needed for the moment that you were in, where you felt stressed, anxious, alone, and someone reminded you that you are loved and valued? How many of you have experienced a moment where um, you're grieving something and someone comes and just sits with you? doesn't say a whole lot, but offers you their presence and your time. How many of you have been stressed about money, thinking bills are not going to be met this month, and for some reason, out of some felt-like chance, somebody offers you a gift maybe a little bit of money or maybe somebody pays a bill for you how many times have you been sitting in a, a room like this singing and you just all of a sudden start to find yourself choked up or 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 you get goosebumps and you don't know why because you've sung that song a hundred times and it's old and it's whatever, but all of a sudden the room feels like it's a little different and you have this moment where you feel like God is near to you. How many times have you had a hug from a family member, a child or a mother or a sister, brother, aunt, uncle, grandparent, and when you hug them, you just feel known for a minute. These are all moments that we can easily just skate by. We can think, well, that was nice, and we can just forget it. But these are moments of arrival, Groot would say. These are moments when God has shown up like the Rockies in western Kansas, out of nowhere, and they disappear just as quickly as they arrive, but we know something was different about that moment. We know something had changed. And sometimes they're very big moments, like you failed in a very significant way, you harmed somebody in a very significant way, and they offer you forgiveness for it. They tell you that you're still loved. The kind of things that can change the trajectory of your life. When Moses climbs that mountain and we see Jesus climbing this mountain, there's this kind of theological idea that what they're representing in that moment is they are the mediators between God and God's covenant with us. Moses is this mediating present teaching Israel who God is. And in Jesus, we see this mediating present between or presence between God the Father and us. We see that in his death and his resurrection. We're told he advocates for us. But one of the beautiful things about this is Moses goes up alone. Jesus has this moment before Peter talks about building uh, tents to worship each of the, the people present. They're very um, one individual in a moment of glory. But we're taught, we're showed through uh, Pentecost, through the stories of the church, that it is no longer the experience of the select one or two people who get to experience God in a real and tangible way in their life. It's no longer something that only happens to the elite. That it's something that happens to you, and it's something that happens to me. And the biggest thing, and the biggest reminder that we can find as we start thinking about theophany, God showing up, is that we have to pay attention enough to see it. We have to be aware. We have to have our eyes open. Pastor Alex's prayer today was really meaningful, the silence, because we get so inundated with noise and, and podcasts and And the radio and TV and all of the distractions in our life, our smartphones, that we can miss the moments of God breaking in to our life. The moments where God is present. Offering grace, forgiveness, love, healing, redemption, correction. That happens from time to time too. And so I just have a question today for you. Has God shown up for you? Where has God shown up for you? It's possible, because this is my tendency too, to think, uh, it just hasn't happened. God wouldn't show up for me. I don't know of a place or a time or a way, and so it must not have happened. It can feel very easy to say, this is not a reality in my life. I don't want to be left disappointed again. Maybe we've had experiences in our life where people have promised things and then not followed through over and over and over and over over again. And so this idea of God showing up, we don't want to get our hopes up for it because we think God will just do what everybody else has done in our life. But there's an invitation here. God wants to arrive for you. God wants to show up in your life. More than that, God wants to Arrive in a way that God identifies with you. God is real to you in a way that changes and transforms you where his love for you reshapes and remolds you and people see you and they think something's a little different about that person. We could have words for this like holiness or sanctification. But really all we're talking about is being aware of when God shows up and being present with God.